0: Hey everyone, this is Jared of the Cyanautical Podcast. If you're into holistic health, philosophy, and spirituality, come check out and listen to my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and elsewhere. This is the Fit Wallet portion of the Lifelong Health and Fitness Podcast. The Fit Wallet series focuses on that other aspect of fitness in our lives, financial fitness. Today I'm speaking with Kim D.H. Butler, an author and the founder of the Prosperity Economics Movement and president of Partners for Prosperity, Inc. She's not your typical financial planner. After growing up on a dairy farm, putting herself through college and becoming a banker, she realized that typical financial planning offered no guaranteed results and that truly wealthy people she observed often followed a different path. That discovery was the birth of prosperity economics. Kim currently advises clients in all 50 states. If you'd like to speak to Kim, she can be contacted at partnersforprosperity.com. That's partners, the number four, prosperity.com. And on Facebook and Instagram at Kim D.H. Butler. First, Kim, thank you for joining me.
1: Sylvia, it's a joy. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I'm so happy you decided to uh, do this podcast I was just one of your clients a few weeks ago.
1: (laughs) Well, podcasts are an awesome way to educate our community. And so I'm all in.
0: Yeah. And for listeners, Kim is a valuable resource on the show. And I'll explain why in just a moment. I recently spoke to Kim for a financial advising appointment. And during that appointment, I told her that I was once a broke single mom. And those who have been following, My social media—they'll recognize that name. During that time, I was a personal trainer, and sometimes I didn't have enough food to train myself after spending all day with clients. So it wasn't until I read a few, you know, popular financial planning books that I slowly climbed out of that state of being broke. But recently, I read Busting the Money Myth series, in which Kim co-authored, and you also. Were the primary author on some of those books in that series. Correct.
1: Correct. A book is like a child, you know, it's yes. always raised with a community. <laughs> yes. But yes.
0: And you know, I wish I read those books before <laughs> because I spent a lot of years on a typical financial planning advice and I wasn't reaching my greater financial goals. Mm-hmm. So, if you could explain to listeners what prosperity economics is versus typical or traditional financial planning.
1: Absolutely. And I'm actually going to pick up on your word choice there, because it, it is a very important distinction. And that is that typical financial planning has only been around since about the 1960s. And prior to that, everything, which of course, when you look at something that's long-term, we call it traditional. So so prior to that, everything that people did with their money, uh, products that they bought, strategies that they used were all very traditional products. In fact, if you dig around, you'll see mortgages, life insurance, and that's pretty much it. There were not a lot of access to the mutual fund stock bond market. Uh, There was no such thing as 401k plans, et cetera. And so what happened over time, and my story and history is available on our website, so I'll, I'll let people dig into that deeper if they'd like, but I just realized that this typical financial planning was not going to get me or my clients the freedom with money that I was looking for. And when I started to figure out what the clients that had that freedom with money were doing, I realized that it was actually more back to traditional methods, which is basically boiled down to real estate and life insurance, and maybe a few other things, Uh primarily businesses. So that's where prosperity economics developed from.
0: Okay. So traditional is the path that the wealthy people you observed were following. That is correct. Okay. So that was one of the things mentioned in the books that I read. And I was so, uh, after reading the first book in the series, and I read them all in one month. So I don't know which one I started (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I read them all in one month. Uh, You actually changed my reading habits. I would read like maybe one book every three months. (laughs) And then after getting that five book series, I realized how much information I didn't know about Mm -hmm. finances. And then I wondered what else I was missing. So I started reading a book a week. Um, I
1: love it. Yeah. For you.
0: (laughs) It's changed my life. Honestly, it's changed my daily habits after reading that series. And And currently, currently you have a new book coming out, correct?
1: Yes, it's actually out. And holy cow, was that not a beast to get over the finish line? And it's so good. You always love it when you work on something and then it has to go into other people's hands to get edited and cleaned up, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get it back in your hands and you read through it and you think, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And that's truly what I felt the last or le- the most current, because there will be another one, we're already working on another one, um, but the most current is called Perpetual Wealth, and these are all available on Amazon. They're on both Audibles, Kindle, and either soft or hard copy, and Perpetual Wealth subtitle is How to Use Family Financing to Build Prosperity and Leave a Legacy for Generations. And so it is wonderful to have it out there. It's a bit of a bookend for us. So if you think about a bookshelf, the left side is busting the financial planning lies. And then the right-hand side is perpetual wealth. And all of the others are in the middle drilling down into a specific topic like mortgages or 401k plans as an example. Okay.
0: And I think perpetual wealth is important because a lot of people focus on themselves Um, And I don't think they're thinking about uh, family planning down the line. It seems as if everyone's hustling to get the life they want now and planning for their children, for example, might be an afterthought.
1: Very true. And yet, as we know, people are going to be living longer and longer and longer. And it's so important that we think long-term with our money, just like it's important that we think long-term with our health.
0: Yeah, and it's difficult to be healthy if you don't have money for food.
1: And it's also difficult
0: to be healthy if you're constantly stressed about
1: financial issues. Correct. And actually, automating your finances is one of the biggest suggestions that I give to people to help avoid that stress. So, for example, if you have debt and you're constantly looking at your debt and thinking about your debt and focused on your debt, well, that's probably what you're going to get more of. And so if you can automate your debt payments and then just shift your perspective and your point of view away from that, you'll get better results. Same is true. And this is what wealthy people do. They help themselves overcome human limitations and get to the next level by automating everything that they can. And so automating the act of saving, like the ability to put money aside every month again, if you automate that, then it just happens. And all of a sudden, a year or two goes by and holy cow, you have actually some resources now because you automated and it made it actually happen. Whereas us human beings get in our own way if we try to willpower it.
0: Yeah. And you know what I liked about your series is after I discovered the information in it, I started searching terms differently, searching about financial advice differently. Mm -hmm. And I found more information supporting what you say in the books. And what you just said, I found in another resource about building wealth.
1: That's exciting. Is, it just confirms it, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and they called it setting up systems. Yeah. the so systems of automating, uh, just like you said, saving and uh, investing and so forth. Super cool. So some listeners tuning into this podcast, we have listeners who are into you know, living a minimalist lifestyle, and they might ask themselves, why should I concern myself with being wealthy? Some people believe that money doesn't buy happiness. So, why would you recommend people building their wealth?
1: Well, I, I agree that money isn't everything. Yes. And money affects everything that. <laughs> is important to us. So you said it well earlier, it's simple as more capability to buy food or more capability to get help in an area that we may want some coaching for example. So I absolutely love the thought process around minimalism and yet we can serve better, we can do more with our lives when we have a little bit of flexibility around money. And so it starts with just the simple act of saving. And again, saving as a verb, putting money aside, building up an emergency fund, building up an opportunity fund so that we can seek out ways to solve emergencies, ours or others that we care about and take advantage of opportunities. Again, ours or those that somebody else may discover and, and come to us with because we actually have resources to do something.
0: Yes. And that's actually a very important point. Before I touch on that point. So you basically said money doesn't, isn't everything, but it affects everything. Correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah. That's probably the best way it's been put. Thank you. (laughs) And as far as money being used to not just help ourselves, but to also help others. um, I remember listening to Les Brown years ago in which, at least in his case, he actually became sick. And if he didn't have the money he built up over the years, he wouldn't have been able to receive the type of treatment that uh, a higher level of treatment compared to other patients who also had his ailment, which was cancer at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's another aspect that perhaps people don't think about because they're thinking about the now and not what could be or, you know, life happens.
1: Right. And we want it to happen and we want to be able to embrace it and move it forward. And all of the things that we deal with here on this earth are involved in money.
0: Yes. And if you get injured at the gym, you need money
1: as well. (laughs)
0: That sounds like a voice of experience. (laughs) No, but I've heard it many times actually. So yeah, that's something to keep in mind. Um, So can you define the four financial states, which is poverty, subsistence, comfort, and prosperity?
1: Yes. So this is part of our prosperity ladder. And it helps people think through the focus that they want for their money. So as we all know, everybody starts in poverty. Poverty means that you cannot take care of yourself. And when you're a young child and you're living under your parents' roof, that is the state that you're in. And then the next level is subsistence, where you have just enough money to get by. So think about the person that's right out of school, could be high school or college. And now they're earning an income and they have expenses and and everything is just that way. It's all equal. And, and they really have no freedom. Like you said, they couldn't deal with a long-term illness. They couldn't deal with an opportunity either. You know, it's not all about solving emergencies. It's about taking advantage of opportunities. Like maybe you get a, a chance to go on a trip if you can take six months off and pay for the trip. But if you don't have the resources, then you don't get that opportunity. So that brings us to the next level. And there's really important distinctions of what happens between these levels. So from poverty to subsistence, it's work, right? It, it, it just requires earning yes. an income so that you can pay your expenses. That's mm-hmm. work. The activity between subsistence and comfort is savings because comfort is there because you have savings. Again, you can solve emergencies. You can take advantage of opportunities. So work is the first step. Savings is the second step. So now from comfort, there's a lot of people that won't move beyond that. They save money and they're comfortable and that's fine with them. They don't want to go any further. And there's nothing wrong with that. It does mean that they're okay as long as everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a, a potential risk that something really big could, again, or emergency or opportunity could be that uh, proverbial two by four in the head thing. But typically people that desire comfort and save money, they get comfort and that's sufficient. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, okay. there is a fourth level and that is prosperity. And so the difference between comfort and prosperity is typically ownership. So you either own a skill, you own a literal business, you own real estate, you own other cash flowing assets. And this allows you to be in that prosperous space where there truly is extra. There's extra net worth. There's extra cash flow. There's extra capability to donate to causes that you care about or take a year sabbatical or do whatever it is that's important to you. Help a family member, start another business, create value in some form because of the prosperity that is there due to ownership.
0: Okay. And prosperity versus comfort, which one is more likely to offer you perpetual wealth?
1: Well, that's a great question. I believe that because of the way that life insurance works, a family that's in comfort and likes that space and wants to stay there can use life insurance to generate perpetual wealth, which just means wealth from one generation to the next, with life insurance at the comfort level. Those that are in prosperity use life insurance in the exact same way it's just bigger zeros on it again the way is to get wealth moved from one generation to the next so there's maybe different strategies that get used and the dollar figures are different but the product can actually be the same as it relates to perpetual wealth okay And as far as life
0: insurance, can you explain the type of life insurance and how that can be used for continuing wealth?
1: Yes. So most people are familiar with what's known as term insurance, which is a wonderful product. And if you have family or a business or debt that you're concerned about, if you had died yesterday, you know that money is going to be needed then term insurance does the job and everybody should have some term insurance, even a single person and definitely a single person with family. So term insurance, perfect. Get it. Have lots of it. Let it do the job that it's supposed to do, which is to provide the peace of mind if you had died yesterday. In addition to that, there's another product called whole life insurance, which is literally the exact opposite of term insurance. And whole life, as the term implies, is going to be there for you for sure when you die, hopefully, at a long, long, long time later. Okay. So term term insurance is typically a 30-year term or less. Whole life is literally forever. Like you could die when you're 120, 130, 140, and it would still pay.
0: Okay. So say someone is new to the idea of using life insurance, even term life insurance, It can be an uncomfortable subject to bring up to say, hey, you should get life insurance. Uh, (laughs) Some people might be suspicious, perhaps. Um, What is the best way to uh, convince people of at least getting term life insurance?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. So it really comes down to having somebody that you love and care about. And so- Maybe it's a young mother with a daughter. Maybe it's a young father with a son or daughter, of course. Maybe it's a young person that does not have any children, but they have student loan debt and they don't want to leave their parents with the student loan debt should they die early. Any of those are good reasons to own term insurance. And of course, today, you can pop on the web and get what I call cheap term insurance In literally less than probably ten minutes, uh, one day, and you know, a few minutes the next day, and you're in and done. And it's super easy, and it's something that is something that should be discussed. It is not something that we should be afraid of, even though I agree with you, it often is. But it is something that I'm working hard to get into people's language and thought process. I mean, death is a guaranteed event, and if we just cross off our concerns about it, if we cross them off the list, then we can live more fully on a daily basis.
0: I do hope that you get your message out there as much as possible because no one talks about insurance in this way. And I think that's why there's still such a stigma. When anyone brings it up, it's so foreign to use insurance in any sort of profitable way which uh, whole life insurance can be used for profit in some way, correct?
1: Yes. Let's take just a quick dive into that subject. So whole life insurance is definitely something that needs to have a little bit of learning done around it. And it is a product that's two or 300 years old. And for whatever reason, there is a lot of emotion around it. People either love it or hate it. And for why I'm not entirely sure. However, I do know that you said it well, it can be profitable while you're living. So it's interesting when we look at the insurance landscape, all of the other insurances, car insurance, home insurance, disability insurance, health insurance, et cetera, all of those cover if events, if we have our home burned down, if we get in a car accident. Life insurance covers a when, W-H-E-N, event. It's guaranteed to happen. And so because of that, we need to look at life insurance differently than we look at any of the other insurances. And that's why whole life insurance was developed long, long, long time ago in order to enable people to profit from its use while they were living. And it's in the form of something called cash value, which is literally like a savings account that gets built up in addition to the death benefit. So it's kind of like you're buying two accounts, if you will.
0: I'll put information on this podcast, uh, not only to your website and social media, but a little more information about whole life insurance. So listeners can uh, get more information on that and figure out whether it's right for
1: them, which it's pretty much right for everyone. Wouldn't you agree? I do agree, including single people. Yes. Because they still have to deal with that guaranteed event called death. But more importantly, since thankfully most people won't die early, it is such an effective and efficient wealth automator. So back to what we were talking about earlier, the critical need to have the savings action on a monthly basis automated. And then it's also a very good wealth protector because life insurance is very, very boring. And it's also very, very effective. And it stores cash. So think about cash, liquidity, savings account kind of money. It stores that better than any other financial institution out there. And that is
0: because it isn't taxed on, correct?
1: That is part of it, for sure. It's also at a mutual life insurance company, yes, which means that that company is owned by the policyholders. You can think about it a little bit like a credit union whereby the life insurance company, as the holder of your cash, is owned by you. And so it's there to benefit you. It's not a public company. It doesn't exist to benefit anybody else. And so that also makes it a better place to store cash. And then lastly, the life insurance companies and the dividends that they pay are always a couple points above bank rates. Uh And so as we're all aware... Our savings accounts these days are not earning much, and the life insurance does much better. So it's
0: multifaceted benefits with whole life insurance. Well
1: said. Really
0: good word. So as far as assets and liabilities, people are at least familiar with those two terms. What would you consider to be an asset, and what would you consider to be a liability in terms of what is in reach for someone who's new to wealth building?
1: yeah, I think that's a great question. And there's definitely some definitions of assets out there that I think sound cool, but in the end, they're kind of frustrating. So to me, an asset is anything that holds or builds wealth, and also that facilitates wealth building. So again, the verb okay. of saving and and that capability. And then liabilities are typically debt, credit card debt, student yeah. loan debt, that kind of thing. And what I think is super important for your audience is that people learn to do the work for both spaces. It's very common that if somebody has debt, they want to put all of their resources against that debt to get rid of it. And that's actually not the best strategy for us as individuals or for us as somebody trying to build wealth. So kind of psychologically, but also um, economically. I always recommend people split it in half and they, they take their savings capacity, their, their monthly amount that they can save every month, and they spend about half of it to build wealth and about half of it to pay off debt because okay. those two things are not the same. They might be the same on the balance sheet where the assets and the liabilities live, but they're not the same to us as human beings.
0: Yeah. And you know what? When I was paying off my debt while I was in school- I put most of my money to pay off debt and I, I was hungry again. So yeah, uh, what you're saying makes sense. Not uh, putting as much money as possible, to, well, as much money as you have toward debt to where you're depriving yourself in some other way and also neglecting the saving component.
1: Correct. Yep. Yeah. Super critical to build up that, what I call emergency slash opportunity account That will help you solve emergencies and take advantage of opportunities. There's so much peace of mind associated with having one. And nobody talks about it because your typical financial advisors, they don't get paid to have you have liquid cash. And everybody else thinks it's boring and, and skips over that step. And yet it's really the first step that anybody that's in the adult world should be working towards.
0: Okay. And in your financial planning lies book, there's a story about the hills versus the mountains. And that was another story that really opened my eyes about the direction I was going in terms of my financial goals. Can you explain the hills versus the mountains?
1: Absolutely. So think about you're living your life and you desire to take a next step and, and you kind of look around and, and you see what some of your friends are doing and you see what people that you don't know are doing and you think, okay, a good next step for me would be to get a house in the Hills kind of in quotes like that, that would legitimize where I am in my life and what my income and savings capability is because that's pretty much what everybody else is doing. So it seems kind of normal to you.
0: Okay. And, uh, the house in the Hills is kind of like the suburbs with the, um, It could be McMansions or it could be the uh, cookie cutter custom built homes or, you know, uh, starter home homes. Correct. Maybe not starter, but. Well, uh, I
1: I think for some it could be because. Oh, okay. It depends on where you live and, you know, what part of the country. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes starter homes are big steps. So, yeah. And and this is a, a mental construct more sure. than it is an actual physical construct. Although okay. sometimes sometimes, as you're well aware, it, it plays out physically as well. Yes. So what happens is sometimes something causes us to shift our perspective. Sure. So like for you, and I'm so grateful for this, some of our books caused you to say, Oh, hold on, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe there's something that I wasn't aware of. Maybe I could actually get a house in the mountains or up on the mountain top. And I believe that people have lots of mountain tops in their lives and holy cow, this could be so much better. And, and there could be so much more opportunity and capacity, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is what is so important to me about the message is that A lot of times there's things out there beyond our circle of influence and our friends and our work environment cause us to have a, a certain circle of influence. And it's valuable sometimes to get outside of that and think about or learn about what else may be out there for you to possibly take two steps at a time instead of just one step.
0: And the people who live in the mountains per se, do they have a different personality type? than the people who live in the hills or is it just their perspective
1: it's just their perspective it absolutely that's a great question uh is is nothing else it's a mental perspective i definitely
0: recommend busting financial planning lies as part of that five book series and that story in there was excellent um, I felt like the character, actually, and I felt bad for the character when he was first, yeah. <laughs> when he was first trying to get in the hills. So <laughs> um, that was a, an excellent way of explaining what you just explained. Awesome. Thank you. So we try to keep our podcast short, and I really do hope I could have you on again, because there's a whole lot that we can speak about. And I have been listening to your podcast as well. Can we get the name of your podcast, please?
1: Yes, we call it the Prosperity Podcast. And you can find it off of the website you mentioned earlier, partners4prosperity.com, or on any of your favorite listening devices.
0: Yes, it's an excellent podcast. You're in your element and you're explaining everything and it's great. So I'll definitely listen a lot more. But in closing, uh, considering that this podcast focuses on helping anyone pursuing lifelong fitness being physical, mental, or financial. If they don't have a lot of resources, what advice can you give people who might find themselves financially strained right now? How can they begin building
1: personal wealth? I think that act of savings is the most important. And even if it's a dollar a day, it could be a dime a day. It's the act that is so important. And It's important that the act be done with gratitude and a prosperity perspective, which is not easy. But to to talk about a habit or a system, if you will, literally every time you go to your computer or every time you wake up to have a jar that you put a dime in or at the computer, Mm -hmm. you know, transfer $10, do it every single business day. Get in the habit of saving
0: Okay. That's excellent advice. And what resources can listeners find on your website to help them get started?
1: Well, I believe that the story that I have and the process that I went through as I navigated the exact same things that you and I've been talking about today is valuable. So if they go to the partnersforprosperity.com website, there is a booklet on there that is not available anywhere else. Okay. And it, it's called Financial Planning Has Failed.
0: Oh, yes. I saw that on there, actually.
1: Yes. And that, that tells my story, if you will. And, and what's valuable about that to listeners is that it, I believe it gives them hope. And the coolest thing about my work is that especially for a young person, I can help somebody that can save $100 or $200 a month. I mean, if they can save 500 a month, that's better. But <laughs> there's so many financial advisors out there that have to have a half a million dollars or whatever their minimum is before they'll help somebody. And that's not the case for the way that I've built Our firm and the practice that we have, and how we provide people help. So, I encourage people to dig in. And as you know, we have numerous podcast sessions, and all of our books are available on Audibles if people prefer to learn that way. And so, we're here to help individually, personally, as people are ready for it. Well, Kim, thank you again for all your
0: resources. I look forward to having you on the podcast again.
1: You're so welcome. It was a joy, Sylvia. And I welcome people to reach out with questions. I'm here to help. And I love email and conversations in the the social media space so that everybody can make some type of forward movement with their finances.